So last week, Pastor Tom talked out of James chapter 1, said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And he talked about how hard that is. In fact, what I really love about his message was he talked about how hard it was for him to count it all joy when he faces trials and tribulations of different kinds. Because I have a hard time being happy about trials and tribulations myself, you know. And yet God's word tells us to count it all joy when we face those trials and tribulations. And so it's a challenge that we have. Um, but if I'm honest, and I try to be as much as possible, um, when trials and tribulations come, and haven't you ever had something happen in your life, some kind of trial, some kind of tribulation, and you're wondering, God, why, are, why is this happening to me? Right? I mean, did you ever think that, God, I gave my life to you, so everything should be like a rose garden? I shouldn't have any more trials and tribulations. God, I gave my life to you, and so everything should be good now, right? Is, am I the only one guy that's ever thought that? Okay. Have you ever thought, have you ever wondered why God didn't promise us a rose garden? Have you ever, have you ever read the story of Job and had just a little bit of a problem with that? I mean, I remember reading Job for the first time and thinking, God, you sicked the devil on Job. What did he ever do to you <laughs> besides remain faithful? And yet, as I grew up a little bit and I reread Job and figured out kind of what Job was all about, what that story really tells us is that Job was such a righteous man and God had such faith in Job that sending the devil after him wasn't going to have the, the consequences that the devil wanted to have. His faith in Job was, was amazing. And, and I don't know about you, but I would love for God to be able to have that kind of faith in me. You know what I mean? I want God to have such faith in me and my righteousness and my willingness and desire to serve him and to live for him to be such that he can look at the devil and say, hey, have you considered... Mark Fitzsimmons. Because if you haven't, give it a shot. See where it goes. See what happens. And when God says all those things like he did about Job, he had the utmost belief and faith that Job was going to come through. And Job did come through. But I often wonder why why trials happen, why testing happens. And I'm one of those guys that wants to know why. I was, I have three younger siblings and two older siblings, and I was probably that little kid that went, why? 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 Whack! Okay, that's why. <laughs> you know, I got a few whacks in my time. But I'm the kind of guy that wants to know why. Why is it that, I mean, I mean, I understand some of the purposes, and we, we heard out of James, it produces your faith. Testing and trials produce faith. And faith, in when it produces a perfect work in you, makes you perfect and complete in all things. And that's part of the why. All right? 
But still, I was like, God, why is it that we suffer through these trials? And why is it that we have these testings in our life? And, and when we're in relationship with you, God, it just seems like everything should be great and everything should be wonderful. And yet, even in the trials, if we can do what Pastor Tom spoke about last week and count it all joy, even in those times of trial and tribulation, yes, it can be great. And it can be wonderful. And our relationship with God wouldn't change, shouldn't change. Okay? I teach graphic communications. I teach the intricacies of photography. I used to teach how to run an offset press. That's kind of gone away. It's all digital printing and stuff. But as a teacher, what I really want my students to do is understand the concepts and understand why this does this when you do this. If you flip this button on the press, why it turns on and rollers start going around. If you have your hand on the rollers when you do that, why it happened that your fingers get all squished, okay? Or what happens when you change the ISO on a camera? What else do you have to do to make your picture come out right? If it doesn't come out right, why did it not come out right, okay? So I've always been one of those why kind of guys. And I think Judges chapter three, verse one to four uh, tells us exactly that. Or at least it gives us a better idea, right? It says, these are the nations, and we're in Judges, by the way, in midweek Bible study, so I just kind of centered right on that. It said, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. So we see two reasons in those four scriptures. We see two reasons why God left those peoples in the promised land. It says he left them. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites. Okay, so that's the first reason. First of all, he wanted to teach, he tells, he wanted to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. So the Israelites crossed over the Jordan. They're led by Joshua. They're all, they, they start out with Jericho, they defeat Jericho, they move on to Ai, and basically from there they move through, from city to city to city to city, defeating the people in the land, driving them out of the land, conquering the promised land, taking possession of the promised land. God's promise to them, was, I call it the two-foot promise, I heard that all the way back in Bible College 137 years ago, two-foot promise, everywhere your foot steps, that land I'm giving to you. So they took their two feet and they walked out the land. And as they walked out the land, they defeated the people. And those people knew warfare. The people didn't see them coming and go, uh-oh, here come the Israelites, pack your bags, we're all leaving. They fought to keep their land, all right? And the Israelites defeated them. God had given that land into their hand. The people that they were defeating you know, were, were not godly people. They were idol worshipers. They, were for, they worshiped foreign gods. They were godless people, and God sent his people in to possess that promised land. Okay? And so you had a generation of warriors. 
after Joshua died, you had several other people that came in. The, the, uh, the people of Judah came in and they led the, the conquest of the promised land. And they continued to fight. They continued to battle. But where we find ourselves now in, Ju- in Judges chapter 3 is you have an entire generation who has never known battle. And yet there were still people living in the land that would come against them. There were still people living in the land that would test them. We saw who they were just a few minutes ago. These people had not left, or they had not known battle. Now, think about that just for a moment. They'd never had any battle experience. And there was absolutely no way to tell whether they would fight or not when the fight came to them. There's just no way. They'd never had any battle experience. And, and you know, I've, back in my younger, thinner days, uh, you know, I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of martial arts training. But the martial arts training and the programs that I was in was all low contact. You know, we didn't get in there and just beat the crud out of each other. You know, it was, it was fairly, you know, low contact, non-contact. We would pull our punches, take it into where you could hit, but not hit, right? I didn't want to walk out of there black and blue every day and neither did anybody else. All right. But the fact is, is that, and I have never, since I began all that training decades ago, I've never had to put it to use to fight to defend myself or my family or anything else, thank the Lord. It's like a police officer carrying a gun says, my entire career I never had to draw my gun and fire it. Perfect, right? I used to lifeguard thinner days again. I used to tell my lifeguards every year, if we get through this whole summer without one rescue, then we've done our job because we wanted to be preventative lifeguards, okay? Um, So, but the point is, is that I can stand here today and tell you, yeah, I've had a lot of training, but could I really utilize the skills and the training that I've had to defend myself? Right now, it's all theory. Every bit of it is theory because I have never had to do it. All right? We had an entire generation of Israelites that have never had to fight. And there's no way they could know whether or not they would or whether or not they even could fight. Now, these are the descendants of Israel, but let's talk about us for a minute. Because if we can't take the word of God and apply it to our lives today, then it doesn't really mean anything, does it? But this this does mean something to us today. And here's why. Because in this place that we call relationship with God, in this world that we live in, we have an enemy. And that enemy is doing everything he possibly can to steal and to kill and destroy. And God knows that we have that enemy that's going to come against us with attacks, all kinds of attacks. I mean, is COVID an attack of the enemy? I don't know. I suspect probably so. I suspect it's a tool that the enemy is using to kind of sit back and watch how the world's going to respond and watch what can happen as the last days begin to go. I think that has been a practice run for the last days. That's just how I feel about it. What will the world do if they have to quarantine and can't talk to each other? 
What will the world do if they have to take this or they have to take that or they have to do this or they have to do that? And I'm not trying to get political or anything. I'm just telling you that, that, that the enemy is, is here. He is real. He is coming with us, against us, with attacks. The greatest lie that the enemy can ever tell is that he doesn't exist. Because if people think he doesn't exist, they won't stand against him. And we have weapons at our disposal. We have weapons of warfare. Praise is one of them. All right? We've been here in worship today. We have weapons. In fact, at one point in Taft, I taught this whole long series on the weapons of our warfare and the different weapons that we had access to and available to, and maybe someday I'll do that here. But we have weapons available to us. But church, we have to be skilled in the use of those weapons. And these people in Israel had to be skilled in the use of the weapons that they had available to them. God left these people to test them to see if they would learn how to fight, if they would learn how to, to stand against their enemy. And, and God has given us weapons. And sometimes the testing of our faith and the testing that we find come across us is a test from God, not from God, from the enemy. The enemy is the one that, that throws all these tests our way. Just God just says, just like he did to Job, these are my people. I'm, you know, you're here to test them. Because I want to make sure they know warfare. They know battle. The enemy comes to us and we have weapons at our disposal. And God wants to make sure that we are going to utilize those weapons against an enemy that wants to steal your relationship with God. He wants to kill you both physically and, and spiritually. And he wants to destroy you completely. The Bible says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But thank God, the end of that verse says, but I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. And that's what God promises us. He promises, that's right, that's right. That's what God promises us. And even as he left those people in the, in the promised land to test the Israelites who had not known battle, God was still there with them. And no matter where we are, God is with us. Amen? But he wants to make sure that we know how to use the weapons that we have access to. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. To the pulling down of strongholds in this world, the enemy's strongholds, the way that the devil would come against us, our weapons are mighty to pulling those down, to defeating those. And when I read that verse, I think about as we come back at the enemy with the weapons that we have available, it's just like when the Jericho wall just went boom and came down flat. We have weapons that will allow us to pull down those strongholds. And God wants us to be skilled in the use of those weapons. Think about this for a moment. You are, have zero experience in warfare. Think about this with the Israelites. Think about this with us today. You find yourself in a place where you have, where you have zero experience with warfare. All right? You have zero experience with any kind of weapon for defense. You have zero experience with any kind of weapon for offense. You have no training in the use of any weapons that are going to keep you safe. And you have an enemy that is skilled in use of weapons, that is 
totally and completely brutal in the way that he uses against uses those weapons against you and he has no other desire but to destroy you and that enemy comes against you how vulnerable are you going to feel I mean, just put yourself in that position for a moment. God, I don't know warfare. I don't know weapons. I don't have any defense tactics. God, I don't know how to lead an attack. Oh, no, here comes an enemy, and he's not a good guy. And he is brutal in the way that he treats you. Church, God gave us weapons for a reason. He gave us weapons so that we could learn warfare. You know, we sing songs like we sang this morning of like more than enough. And God is more than enough. But church, he gives us weapons that allows him to work through us in ways that is more than enough to defeat an enemy. We do not have to be afraid of this enemy. We do not have to be afraid for the trials that come into our lives. We do not have to have fear because the devil is coming against us. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love power, and that power to defeat the enemy, and a sound mind. We do not have to worry about the enemy coming against us. But church, we need to be able to step out and fight. We need to be able to count it all joy when we encounter these trials and tribulations that are faith is built up but at the same time we need to know how to fight against the enemy and God gives us the battle plans to do so he gives us the weapons with which to be victorious in the battles that we have against the enemy that's coming against us with no qualms about destruction total destruction he wants to destroy you he wants to destroy you completely and he wants to destroy you eternally we must apply ourselves to learning those weapons. Church, we must apply ourselves to learning the weapons that God has put at our disposal. There's another reason God left those people in that land. It wasn't just to see if they would fight or not. The second reason says this. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. We've been studying the judges. We've gone through Deborah. We've gone through Gideon. We're going to hit Samson this Wednesday before we shut it down for the summer. And the first verse in each of those sections of the judge says, So in those days Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were just like this. Sometimes they were doing well and worshiping God and God alone. And then it seems like within a generation, they would fall back down and they would start worshiping idols. They would intermarry with the people that were in the, the promised land that had been left there to test them. Sounds to me like that was part of the testing. It wasn't even just, we're going to come against you. We're going to defeat you. We're going to steal all your crops. We're going to steal all your livestock, which they did that too. But I'll tell you, one of the best ways that they ever defeated the Israelites was to intermarry with them because then they got the Israelites turning away from God and turning to idols and as soon as they did that it's like they did evil in the sight of the Lord and God would just step back he was still there with them but he just took his hands away and he would send somebody that would 
you know, last time again with Gideon, it was uh, the Midianites. And I mean, they came and they came like locusts and took everything the Israelites had accomplished over the year. And when did they come? At harvest time. So that they could take their harvest. When did they come? As soon as all the livestock was having any young livestock. And they would take all of them. They would take the entire, they would wipe them out. It was, a, it was uh, just amazing that the Israelites weren't wiped off the face of the earth by starvation, if nothing else. But yet, even in that trial and tribulation, God was still with them. And he was still leaving a remnant of people who had faith in him. Church, we need to be that people. We need to be that people who has faith in our God, who's ready with weapons to fight, who's ready to stand, and who's ready to obey the commands that God has given to us. They all had the commands. They all had the commands from their forefathers, Moses. They had heard the commands of the Lord. They had known what they were supposed to do when they were facing testing. But when you have a command, there's no way to know if you will follow that command until you're put to the test. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We were, we were created for a Garden of Eden. We were created to live in the Garden of Eden and have constant you know, relationship and constant exposure to God and to His presence. We were created to live in the Garden of Eden, and it wasn't until the testing came and they failed the test that that garden was, we were kicked out. It wasn't destroyed, we were kicked out. But it was because we failed the test. And an enemy came against Eve and came against Adam and they failed that test. And as a result, they were kicked out of the garden. And we have dealt with sin and struggled with sin ever since then. These people were left to see if the Israelites would obey God's commands or not. Church, we've been given God's word. We have it more than the Israelites even back in the judges' day did. We have his entire word accessible to us we have jesus we have relationship with him we have the knowledge of who he is we have the knowledge of the things that he, he he's done we have the knowledge that that is 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 the complete word of god right here they didn't have that yet god sent left these people to test to see if they would follow his commands church we have all of this i think the responsibility on us is even greater than it was on them to follow god's word and to follow his commands because we have access to all of it all right? But God still needs to know, are you going to follow my commands or are you not going to follow my commands? All the way back to Adam and Eve, are you going to follow my commands or are you not going to follow them? Through the testing and temptation brought on us by the devil, we can prove whether or not we will follow the commands or whether or not we're only fair-weather Christians. Hmm. That's an ugly statement, fair-weather Christians. You know what a fair weather Christian is? When God is, when everything's going good, man, they're all about worshiping God and God is great and God is wonderful. And when things get rough, they're like, God, who? Because while the Bible declares we don't walk by, or we walk by faith, not by sight, those types of Christians would be the ones that walk by sight. Because when they see good things around them, when they feel good things happening, when life is wonderful and when life is great, God is great. And when it's not, all of a sudden it's like, why have you forsaken me, God? 
Let me tell you, there's not one millisecond in your entire life that God has forsaken you. Not one time. Even before you came to know him, can I tell you that by his Holy Spirit, he was drawing you to himself? He was sending people to talk to you. He was sending people to share with you. He was putting circumstances, situations in your life where you could come to know him. He was drawing you to himself because you were created to have a relationship with God. And you were created to have a continual relationship with God. You were created to have that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden type of, of relationship with God. And let me tell you, and I'm kind of jumping to the end here, but when we get through all this trial and all this testing, and when the enemy is cast into that pit, when we have no more battle, the place we're going to find ourselves in is going to make the Garden of Eden pale in comparison. Yeah. Because, I'll tell you, I don't know how great heaven's going to be, but I know it's going to be pretty great. And if for no other reason, it's in the presence of God. We have God's command, church. It's up to us to obey his commands. And yet the enemy is going to test you and test you and test you to try to break that, to try to break your obedience, to try to wear you down. Now let's go back to Job for a minute. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who got hit by trials and tribulations and testing? I mean, he got zapped. I mean, we're talking about a guy who had wealth, a guy who had position, a guy who had family, a guy who had all these children, a guy who had a wife who was, well, we won't go there yet. A guy who had friends, and we don't want to talk about them yet either. But he had virtually everything that he could have ever asked for. And in the midst of his situation, he was a righteous man. And, you know, it's like saying, well, anybody can have faith in God when they have everything. You know? And so the devil was standing before God one day, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, well, sure, but how am I going to get to him? You put this hedge around him. And you've given him everything he wants. How can I, you know, how can I even get close to trial, you know, and tri testing him, giving him some trial or tribulation? He has everything. And you put a hedge of protection around him. God said, do your best. And so the devil came and his livestock was gone. His wealth was taken. His children were taken. And yet he remained righteous. I mean, everything he had was taken away, and yet he remained righteous. Now, how many of us would say we would do that same thing? And we would not go, God, what in the world are you doing here? Uh, maybe there really isn't a God. I don't know. But Job remained righteous, and the devil came to him and said, Yeah, I took all the stuff. But he doesn't really care about stuff. But you let me touch his health. And I can guarantee you that he will falter. I can guarantee you that he will give in to that test. So God said, do your best. And the devil zapped his health. And I mean, we see, we see Job sitting in a pile of ashes with a piece of broken pottery. And he's like scraping all the sores on his body and taking the ashes and dumping them over his head. And, you know, I mean... 
I could just hear him down there saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. You know, I mean, just pity party. I, I can't think, I can't even think he could help, but at least having a little bit of a pity party. And if that wasn't bad enough, then his three friends come to him and they're talking about, look, just curse God and get over with. Curse God and die. I mean, they knew if he cursed God, he would die. Right? And so they're, that's their, their advice to him. Curse God and die. Great advice, right? No. And he lets him have it. And he remains righteous. And that's not bad enough. Then his wife, oh my gosh. She comes over and just gets in his ear. Just curse God. Just curse God and die. Get over it already. And I mean, she tells him, the one who should be lifting him up. I got a text from my wife who's homesick. She said, I'm praying for you. That's the kind of wife you want to have. Husbands, if you don't have a wife, guys, if you don't have a wife, find one like that. Wives, if you're a wife, be like that. Okay? Be that support. She's like, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for everybody there. Job's wife was not like that. Just curse God and die. Job says, I will not break God's commandments. These people were left in the promised land to give the same kinds of tests to the Israelites. The devil is here still today coming against us with these same types of trials and tribulations. And just like Job, we must remain righteous. We must remain righteous and turn to God. And the hardest part about all that, I mean, I look at Job scraping his sores, dumping the ashes over his head. And then I think about last week's verse, consider it all joy. Oh, God, I'm so happy to be here. You know, <laughs> that would be a rough place to be, wouldn't it? And yet that's what God's word says. I mean, when Peter was crucified, uh, he, when he was executed, he was crucified, and they began to put him on a cross, and legend says that he told them, turn me upside down, because I do not find myself worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord. Even in the midst of that, he remained as righteous as he possibly could be. The devil is coming against us. And he's going to. Just like these people were left to test the Israelites, we have, a vic we have an enemy. And he's brutal. If you find yourself vulnerable, he will not step back and go, oh, I'm so sorry, you're vulnerable, and I don't want to... I don't want to, you know, come against you in this moment of your vulnerability. No, he's going to snatch upon that vulnerability and he's going to brutally attack in whatever way he can to bring you down, to draw you away from God. The Bible says that the devil in the last days is going to come against this world in such a way that even the elect will be deceived. That's you and that's me. We cannot allow ourselves to be deceived by an attack of the enemy. I don't care what that attack says. I don't care what it is, and as these last days prophecies are fulfilling themselves right now, as they're all playing out, church, we may come into a place where we have to actually fight for our survival. Yeah. And if that happens, then that happens. 
If that happens, we go in the name of the Lord. If that happens, we go in the power of the Lord. If we find ourselves in a place that we are about to be executed, then we go speaking the name of the Lord, and we go praising the Lord, and we say, you can take my life, but you can never take my eternity. Not ever. Not ever. And this world will do what they can to steal your eternity. The devil will do what he can to steal your eternity. But you just, in the, I'd love to, be careful what you say. <laughs> I just want to say I'd love to stand and stare the devil right in the face and say you will never have my eternity. And then I step back and go, be careful what you ask for. But you know what? As I stand here this morning, I mean, that's my desire. My desire is that I can live for God in such a way that I could stand face to face with the devil and have the weapons of my warfare that are mighty to the pulling down of his strongholds and face him and say, you will never steal my eternity. <clears throat> take my life, but you won't take my eternity. In fact, if you want to take this physical life, take it because my next second is in the presence of God. How bad can it be? You know, we sing these songs about God's power and his ability to protect us. And sometimes we find ourselves in this place of what I like to call this Christian bubble. Where we feel like, here God, we're in this Christian bubble and... Nothing should come against us. Nothing should make life difficult. Nothing should make life hard. There should be no testing because I belong to you. And you have the power to make sure all that stays away. And so I'm in this little bubble of Christianity. Problem is, it's not real. That's not real. I mean, has anybody in here never faced a trial in their lives? My hand has to go back down because I've faced plenty of them. Here's the ugly part about trials. Most of the times when I find myself in trouble, it's trouble of my own causing. It's not even trouble that, I mean, Job, he didn't even cause the trouble. He was just being a righteous man. I wish I could say that I have all my life been a righteous man and, the, and God could stick the devil on me and wouldn't have any consequence. But the problem is, is that there are times in my life that I have put myself in a position of trouble and I cry out to God, God, I'm in such trouble. Can you just get me out? I know I'm the only one who's done that. But yet even in those times, God is with us. And he's going to do what is necessary to teach us a lesson. To teach us how to fight. To teach us how to obey his commands. And sometimes that requires testing. That Christian bubble reality. Yeah, a few you know, years ago they had this whole positive confession theology that went out there wasn't true. I think they should have just said, I'm preaching lie theology. Because people found them in times of trusting and they would think they could, could confess the test away. 
They could confess the trial away. If you have no money, then just confess that you have money in the bank and you'll have money in the bank. Well, there were a lot of people that confessed they had money in the bank and they never got money in the bank. They confessed they had that Cadillac in the driveway and it never showed up. It didn't work then, it doesn't work now. All right? We need to make sure that our reality lines up with theology as it's spoken in the Word of God. This whole Christian bubble reality and positive confession reality is not real. In fact, I think it's another test of the enemy to try to get us away from what God's Word really says. But we need to make sure that we are letting our reality align with our theology as the Word of God speaks our theology. Don't let it be the other way around. Don't shape your theology to match your reality. Shape your reality to match theology. Shape your reality to match the Word of God. That's what we need to do. And the Word of God says there are going to be tests. The Word of God says there are going to be trials. You know what happened to those people that were having trials and they tried to confess them away and they never went away? They were spiritual failures in their eyes. And even in the eyes of some of the teachers. Well, you just don't have enough faith. If you're praying to be healed and you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. I mean, why don't you just say then you're a failure? Because that's what they were saying. But if we match our reality to to the word of God, then our reality will say, yeah, in this world, I will have trials and I will have tribulations. But two things, I can count it all joy. Three things, actually. I can fight the way that God has given me the ability to fight. I can obey the word of God the way that he's given me his commands to obey. And the last part of that verse I love, to be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, in this world, you will face trials. That's just reality. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Sounds like count it all joy. Hmm, okay. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Church, we can have all the faith that's even possible in the midst of our testing, in the midst of our trials, knowing that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, has overcome this world. Yeah. And someday, and someday we will also overcome this world when we leave it and go to be with him. Amen? In the meantime, fight. And in the meantime, obey his commands. Amen? Bow your heads. You know, I said earlier that God didn't promise us a rose garden. But I also said that what he created us for was a garden of Eden. And someday we will find ourselves in a place where even that garden of Eden doesn't measure up. We will find ourselves in heaven before God and we will know him as he knows us. We will worship him. We will praise him. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come on up too. As I said, worship. 
We will worship him, we'll praise him, we'll glorify him. And we will know his presence. Church, there's a day coming. While we're here right now, we have a fight to fight. We have a battle that has to be waged. We have commands that must be followed. But there's a day coming. Go to the end of the book. There's a day coming when that enemy is going to be cast into a pit for eternity. Yeah, and that is complete victory. Because what happens when that, when that day occurs, when that event occurs, our battle is over. And we are forever, for eternity, in the presence of God. But until then, let's fight. Bow your heads again. Father God, I just want to pray this morning for every one of us here. I want to pray strength. I want to pray perseverance. And I ask God that we would dive deep, each one of us, not just waiting for a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night to hear your word spoken, but I pray, God, that each one of us would dive into your word, that we would discover those weapons that you have for us. And God, that we would, would, would learn from your word how to utilize those weapons. The weapons that we possess are not of this world, but they're from you. And God, we can utilize them against an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God, as we use your weapons and by our faith in you, then the victory is ours. Because ultimately, the battle belongs to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. To the Lord. Your word declares that the victory is mine when the battle is the Lord's. So God, help us to lean on you. Help us to look to you. Help us to be those kinds of Christians that whether it's good or whether it's bad, we are leaning on you and we are looking to you. The one who not only authored our faith, but the one who is perfecting our faith. And as James says, sometimes that perfecting comes through trials. But God, I pray that we would stand strong for you. God, touch each and every heart here today. Touch each and every life here today. Father God, help us in our times of trial. Help us in our times of testing. And Father God, help us to keep our focus on you no matter what. In Jesus' name.